This is The Podcast Method, episode number 11. I'm Dan Benjamin, and I am here to answer your questions about podcasting, recording, audio equipment, software, mic technique, production, workflows, that kind of thing, all relating to podcasts. I'll do my best to answer the questions that you ask me on Twitter and other places. But if you want to ask me a question, Twitter is the best place to do it. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. And if you want uh, to address a question about podcasting for me, use the hashtag podcast method and I will find it and I'll see it and I will endeavor to answer it here on the show. And I am so excited because there's so many things I want to talk about and podcasting is so much fun. Like that's what I woke up feeling this morning is like, how lucky am I that I get to make a living doing this really cool thing, like talking about geeky stuff that I really like. It's a very rare thing that we get to get paid for stuff that we enjoy doing. And like every day I wake up and think, is this real? Uh, but I guess it is real. And so thanks to all of you people for making it real. The people I'm talking about are you, the listeners, number one, and number two, the people who support the stuff that we do here on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash five by five. And you know what? For like five cents a day, you know, that works out to be like a few bucks a month. You can really make a huge, huge, huge difference in what we're able to do here. Shows like this and uh, the pipeline, the interview show that I do and other things. And so that's where I wanted to start today by talking about interviewing. So many people have asked me questions recently about interviewing. And so many people, when I relaunched the pipeline uh, with a Tim Ferriss interview recently, they said, wow, Dan, thank you for bringing this show back. This is what led me into podcasting. These interviews are what led to podcasting. And it's so true for me too. Interviewing is one of the reasons that I wanted to go into radio and eventually podcasting in the first place. Because I love interviews. I love hearing about different uh, people and their different opinions and their different thoughts. But what makes a good interview for me is the the interviewer. I know that sounds funny, right? But the interviewer is the one who makes or breaks a good interview. You can get a really, really terrible guest. And if the interviewer is good, they will pull out some amazing, amazing things from that guest. It's just true. And I'm not saying the guest themselves is like a terrible person. I just mean they're terrible interviewees. They're terrible in the sense that they don't want to talk or they're, they're uh, resistant or they're adversarial. Why would somebody be adversarial? You should just watch interviews or listen to interviews and see a lot of the time the people just don't want to be interviewed. And you can totally bust that up by making it fun, by throwing them a question that they're not expecting, by asking questions from a perspective that they're not expecting. But my only tip for interviews, my only tip for interviews is research and prepare and go into it like a conversation. Nobody wants to hear a formalized interview with a list of questions. My first question for you today is, when you were working on this project, what were your feelings? No, make it a conversation. Listen to Mark Maron and the way he interviews. Now, he's an extreme, right? And you might not like Mark Maron. You might love Mark Maron. You're going to fit into probably one of those two camps. But if you listen to the way he interviews, he makes it a conversation. And he does this better than most people in the world. So go, go listen to that. You want to put your interviewee, your guest, at total ease. You want to make them feel like they're sitting down with you in a coffee shop 
talking about what's been going on in their life. If they feel like it's this formal interview, now will be and another tip. Okay, I lied. I lied. I said I only had one tip. Here's another one. Every time, it seems like every time that I go on to a show, uh, the person who's interviewing me will say, okay, I'm going to uh, do the intro to the show and then uh, then I'll, I'll get to you and then we can start talking. And then they'll go through their whole, you know, 30 second intro to the show and what they're, you know, all the stuff that they do in the intro part. And they might even read a sponsor re- read while uh, you're sitting there waiting to say hi. Don't do that. Pre-record it. Record it five minutes before the interview is scheduled to start or do it later. Do it after the interview's done. Don't waste the interviewee's time with that. Now we can talk about the whole thing of should I ask the interviewee to record their own end because maybe you don't have the equipment or the setup. I'm going to say do what you think is best. Uh, Glenn Fleischman, who's done so many great interviews, says, oh, I would always ask uh, my interviewee to record their end and send it to me. And they've always been happy to do it. Well, that's that's really cool. I think I've done that once in hundreds of interviews because I feel like the burden is on me as the interviewer to 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 reduce and elim if if not eliminate the burden on the interviewee. They should be able to show up and speak and go away. I've even sent microphones and headsets out to interviewees uh, to just make that whole process easier. I'm not saying what Glenn says is wrong. I think I think it's perfectly fine to do that, especially if you're on a budget. But I remember in those early days when I had no money at all, I like would order a, a, a headset on Amazon and have it like shipped to the person for like 15 or 20 bucks. In some cases, that made the difference between them saying yes and no to the interview. This is back before everybody had you know, a blue snowball sitting on their desk. And they were like, well, I don't have a good microphone, so I can't do the interview. I'd be like, aha, I will send you one. That's how bad I wanted to interview some of these people. So I feel like the burden should be on you as the host to make it as easy as possible. Now, if the person you're interviewing, like if they're already set up, they've got a microphone on their desk, yes, ask them to record their end and Dropbox it to you. Like, no big deal, easy. But if they're like a celebrity of some kind or you, you feel like maybe they're, they're not set up for that, don't ask them to do that. Ask them if they've been on shows or been interviewed before, if they have a podcast already. And if they do, you say, would you be comfortable recording your end? No big deal because I'm recording it too. But if you want to do that, go ahead and do it. I like to make it as easy as possible for the, the guest uh, to just sit there and speak and be done. Anyway, that's my one bit of advice. Oh, another person? You want to see a great interview, an amazing interview, the most recent one that comes to mind? John Oliver does a show called Last Week Tonight, and he interviewed Snowden. That interview was insane. The way that he mixed in humor with real questions and the way that he both uh, put Snowden off guard and made him feel comfortable at the same time, unbelievable Total respect to John Oliver. Even if you don't like that show or John Oliver or Snowden, I'm going to put that into the show notes for this episode. Just pay attention to the interview itself. The guy, I don't even want to spoil it. You've just got to go watch it. Uh, 5x5.tv slash podcast method slash 11 is the place to go to to see links for that interview and uh, the other links that I'll be mentioning on today's episode. Wow, so many cool things to talk about. Right before the show, I did a little microphone test for you guys. And uh, the, the reason that I did that is because I've been talking about this, this, this new box that I've been using. It is the heart of 
uh, of the Dan Benjamin Hour, my daily video show. But this has nothing to do with video. It's how we capture the audio for the show. It's the Focusrite Sapphire Pro 24. Okay. This thing has totally changed up our game here. I'm going to say something that will uh, rock the pillars of the podcasting world. Check it out. I, with the, with the introduction of this into our studio, I have finally eliminated all physical mixers out of my life. Dramatic pause. Hold for applause. This is true. No more. The Sapphire Pro has changed this up. Now, what am I talking about? For a long, 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 long time, my advice has been, if you're going to be recording multiple people and you're going to be uh, having potentially multiple in-studio and remote guests, get a mixer. And I've been recommending the Mackies. Mackies make great mixers. And if you like to ride the faders, that means put your hands on those little sliding things on a thing and you like to do with physical stuff and physical wires, there's nothing wrong with a physical mixer. But... If you want to move in a new direction and where things are really headed, I think you should investigate getting a digital mixer. What is a digital mixer? What am I talking about? What am I talking about? I am talking about a little box that has a number of inputs, some of them for microphones. You plug your mics or your Skype boxes, which I've described in previous episodes, into these things. And you hit record and you're done. And if you want to adjust the levels or you want to do a mix minus so that you can send the mix without the guest's voice uh, that's remote back to them, you can do all of that with these little boxes. They cost way less than a physical mixer. They're not as well suited for live recording. They're just not as well suited for live recording as a physical bigger mixer because then you can have like an engineer sitting there Again, running, riding the faders during the show, making sure everything sounds good. But if you're going to be editing this stuff in post and, and you're not trying to create the most perfect live experience in the whole world, then this thing is just fine. What is this? The Sapphire Pro 24 is, it, 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 first of all, it's a Firewire or Thunderbolt uh, device that is just a little box and it sits there and you plug your microphones into it and you plug your remote guests into it and you hit record and it just works. Especially if you are a Mac user, it uses core audio. There's no drivers or anything to install. There's a little, and what you get is on screen, you get a digital mixer on screen. So you can see all the levels and the lights flashing and everything. And if you want to raise or lower the volume of something, you just do it on screen with the little on screen faders. You can save different profiles. So like here's one setup with a podcast setup one way. Here's another way. The interface takes a little bit of explanation. You actually have to like read how to do it. Uh, and maybe I'll do like a video tutorial on how to do mix minus with one of these things. If you're interested, let me know on Twitter, Dan Benjamin. But these things are great. Now I've been using the, the, the grandpappy of the digital mixer, which is the uh, Apollo, the universal audio, uh, Apollo. Uh, I'm making notes to talk to you about this and put it into the show notes. But the uh, the Apollo lets you do tons of things with like DSPs so that you can build in preamps and uh, compression and noise gain and all kinds of things for that. If you have a more built out studio, if you're recording lots of tracks and things like that, then you probably would, would want to consider something by Universal Audio that has those things which are called DSPs, digital signal processors, built into it. You can run them through preamps and condition the sound and get that great initial live audio quality that you record. That's wonderful if you have $2,000 to spend. But if you have like 
300-something dollars to spend, you should consider the Sapphire uh, Pro 24. It's amazing. It's got all the inputs that you need. And the big question that I've been getting from people is, wait a minute, does it have enough gain to power these microphones that you, Dan, love so much? Because people know that I like dynamic microphones as opposed to condenser microphones. Right now, in this room, I'm speaking to you through a Heil PR40. Most of the rest of the time, I'm speaking through the Telefunken M82. Telefunken is probably uh, making some of the best microphones in the business right now. And who doesn't like to say Telefunken? I think it's probably the coolest word in audio engineering in 2015. It is a really cool, great microphone for me, for my voice. Another amazing, amazing microphone is the Shure SM7B, industry standard microphone, dynamic microphone. I would say that these are the, right now, the two, top two with the Shure and, uh, and the Heil, the two number one microphones that you should be looking at if you want to be in broadcast recording and you're serious about it. Uh, I've talked a lot about the difference between dynamic and condenser mics. I'm a big fan of dynamic mics for broadcast recording. Why didn't I say that the Telefunken M82 is 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 in the top two? I think for most people's voices, they're going to find that they're better on either the Shure or on the Heil. But you've got to try more than that. Try the, try the Telefunken. Try all the condenser mics that you want. Find the one that's right for your voice. One of the questions that I was asked a number of times is, especially for watchers of of the Dan Benjamin Hour, where, where we stream the video and release the video, they notice that I've been using this Telefunken M82. It's perfect for me. They also notice that my uh, my producer on the show, Hattie Cook, is now, instead of being on a Heil, she's on the Shure SM7B. Why? Because it works really, really well for her voice. That's That's the simple reason. We took her off of the Heil and put her on that after testing it out and realized, whoa, she sounds way better on this thing. The Shure SM7B, most people will sound good on it. Uh, and and for a certain range of voices, male as well as female, but it, certainly female voices are going to sound really, really great through the Shure SM7 almost universally. A lot of male voices will sound great through it too. I don't sound very good through that. Uh, I just don't. I, I think uh, I think that it, it, it removes an aspect of my voice that uh, if you were to hear me talk through that, and then meet me in person or hear me through one of these other microphones, you'd say, oh, you, you sound different. I want to sound like me. And that's why I love the, the Telefunken M82, because that's what I sound like. If you met me in person, that's what I would sound like, much more so than the Shure, and maybe even more so than the Heil, which I'm on right now. Still a great microphone. So why am I talking about this? People have asked me if the Focusrite uh, Sapphire Pro 24 has enough gain for these dynamic mics that I'm always talking about. Gain, if I say gain is like volume, I'll get a lot of emails from audio engineers saying, no, it's not. But for all intents and purposes and for, for practical understanding, the gain is is essentially like kind of like volume, kind of like microphone sensitivity, kind of like how how loud the voice going into the microphone will be when you record it. Let's just leave it at that. Don't send me the angry emails. It's close enough. You turn up the gain and the voice gets louder. <laughs> That's the easy way to say it. Uh, different microphones, especially these dynamic microphones, are what we call gain hungry. They need a lot of gain to get any sound. And I've had people write into me and say, oh, Dan, you know, I know you're a big proponent of the Howl uh, PR40. I got one and I, 
it, there's barely any levels at all. I can barely hear myself with the gain turned all the way up. That's because these microphones require upwards of 55 decibels of gain usually to, to even register any sound at all. So if you want to have a, a real, uh, you know, a real sound coming through the microphone and a little bit of headroom, that is, you don't want to have the gain maxed out, then you need to give, get a preamp that's going to provide enough gain for that microphone. The Heil, the, the Telefunken needs less gain than the Heil. The Heil needs less than the Shure. The Shure is like the most gain-hungry microphone in the business. Well, the, the answer is yes. The Focusrite does provide enough gain for these microphones. Just barely for the Shure SM7B. Uh, good enough for the PR40 and uh, plenty for the Telefunken. Well, maybe not plenty, but enough for the Telefunken. If you're using a condenser mic, you'll be just fine. It's got phantom power. It does everything that you need. But the reason that I talk about this is even though I use that, I still put a preamp in front of the Sapphire when I'm really for all of the microphones. I'm a big fan of preamps because then you can really control and shape the sound. And the preamp that I always recommend, it's, it's huge. It, it's terrible. Uh, it will, it will be ridiculous on your desk because it's designed to be rack mounted and like professional audio cabinets, but it is the DBX 286S. This thing is a wonderful microphone preamp and it has built in uh, noise gate and it has built in compression and it will handle any microphone in the business with plenty of gain to spare. And then you would take the output of this and plug it into the input of whatever mixer or audio interface like the Sapphire that you're going to be using and you don't even have to worry about gain at all ever again. Now this thing will cost you an extra 170 bucks, but it, again, it, it's totally in line with me thinking I want the best audio signal coming in. I really want to not have to worry about that kind of thing. But for most people and most microphones, you could start out with just the Sapphire by itself with nothing in front of it. Just plug your microphone in and, and uh, you'll be good to go. Now, I did mention that it was Thunderbolt or Firewire, so there are other devices that you can get that do a, the similar thing uh, that are USB. And the main one that I can link up in the show notes is the, the same company, Focusrite. It's the Scarlett 18i8. There's also the 16i6. These are the same basic thing, but they have USB instead of uh, Firewire or Thunderbolt. So if you're one of those people with the brand new MacBook 12-inch uh, Retina that, that, that only has USB, you could consider getting one of these things. I will mention one thing, and that is expandability. What happens if you start out and you've got two people in a room? You say, okay, we'll get the Focusrite 24. It's, you know, it's affordable. We'll both plug our microphones into it. Now we're doing channel recording, and oh, we have a couple Skype guests. Cool, we can plug them into the line inputs in the back, and we can send Mix Minus back to them. And everything is going to be really cool. And then, you know what? Now we've got five more guests. Well, we were out of ports. What do we do? You can expand this thing. You can get something. Uh, Focusrite makes this, but you don't need to, to use to this specifically. But what you can do is you can get something uh, like the, the Octo Pre Mark II. Sounds great. Octo for eight. That'll give you eight more inputs, all with really, really great preamps that connects to the little Sapphire over an ADAT port, which is like an optical port. 
you can find any optical preamp and connect it so you can give yourself an extra four ports or eight ports if down the road you find that you need that. I love that expandability. Now, instead of going into something where you're buying all of this initially, if you know you need that kind of, those kind of ports, save up and buy something like the Universal Audio because then you'll get all those built-in preamps and yeah, all of that. Anyway, let's step out of the weeds for a second because that's a super technical, geeky thing. But uh, the end result is you can start out by getting a USB or Firewire mixer, digital mixer, and really, really, really uh, save some money and not have this big, hulking, physical, digital mixer sitting on your desk. Boom. My advice for the week. Crush it. Now, I have to go on a little rant about something. I have to. Because we have started using Slack at 5x5 and all the hosts of all the different shows kind of hang out in there during the day. Slack is not sponsoring this show. Shame on them. But through talking to all the hosts on a more daily basis and a more casual basis, I have found, and I will not point fingers and I will not name names, you know who you are, that some of the hosts have been telling me that they do not monitor themselves when they're recording. What? They say they don't like the sound of their voice or they find that monitoring themselves is distracting. Let's let's have a sit down here, folks. Let's talk. The number one thing that you need to do if you're going to be doing any kind of recording or broadcasting is listen to yourself. Harken back to the days when you've watched videos of your favorite musician or singer in the studio recording. Do they have headphones on or are they just singing into them? Yeah, they have headphones on. They're not just singing into the mic. Why is that? Why must you have headphones on if you are recording yourself? It's because you need to know if you're off mic or not. Because you know what? This is how I'm going to do the show for the, for the rest of the... I sound pretty good here, right? I mean, you can, you can hear me. So anyway, the importance of being... Oh, wait a minute. You couldn't hear me and I didn't sound good? That's because I was a tiny little bit off mic. Oh, well, you don't do that because you've got perfect mic technique, right? We all have perfect mic technique. We don't make mistakes. We never go off mic by accident or look to the side and not notice. Of course we do. I do all the time. And if I didn't have these headphones on, I wouldn't know how I was sounding. I might be too close to the mic too and not know it. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) You hear hear the pop filter? I mean, you need to listen to yourself. Even if you're in the same room sitting across from your guest, they have headphones on, you have headphones on. If you, uh, if you sound weird or if it distracts you, that's normal. It's a different thing. You haven't done it before. Do it. Put the headphones on, talk into the microphone without recording, and just sit like that and talk like that for a while. Get used to it. Now, if there is a, if there is a lag, if you're hearing a delay, and it's an echo, and you're not hearing your voice instantaneously as you speak into the microphone, if there's like an echo or a lag, of course, that's very distracting. That is not what I'm talking about. If you hear that, it means there's something wrong with your setup. You should be plugging your headphones in to either the microphone itself, if you have one of those USB microphones uh, where, where the microphone doesn't have a preamp and it plugs right into your computer, most, if not all of those, like the CO1U, this, the uh, CO1U Pro, which is a Samson mic that I recommend, the Rode Podcaster, another condenser mic that I recommend, these all have, like, and I believe the, the Yeti, although I don't use Yeti products, uh, they have a, a, a microphone jack on them. 
and you can plug into that and then you're hearing yourself through that. You can then set that as the output so that when you're talking to your guest, they're actually, their output, audio output will come through that and go into your headphones. If you're using one of these audio interface boxes like the Sapphire, like the Scarlet or another brand, plug your headphones into that audio input. You will hear it with essentially zero lag. You will hear your voice as you are speaking. So as long as that's set up properly, you'll do that. But if, if you are distracted by the sound of your own voice in your headphones, you need to just, you need to just deal with it and get used to it because you need to hear what you sound like absolutely 100% of the time. You need to hear what you sound like. If you're not used to it, what that probably means is you grew up in a time before, uh, or rather after regular home phones. You probably grew up not having a home phone or not using a home phone, or it's been so long since you used a cell phone that you've forgotten that we used to have this. If you pick up a traditional home phone and you just, you know, you get the dial tone, just hit a button, two or three, and you'll hear silence because it's starting to dial and speak. And you will hear your own voice coming back at you through the headset. That's because even on phones, you need to have that kind of feedback. You need to know what you sound like. In the days of Skype, in the days of, uh, of cell phones, you do not hear your own voice. That to me sounds weird. It's still weird for me that I don't hear my own voice back at me a little tiny bit when I'm making a phone call. I feel isolated. I feel weird. I'm not sure if the other person's there. That's because years and years and years ago, we knew how valuable that was. Somehow now it's sort of been forgotten. Get used to it. You need to do it. You need to do it. That's the sign and the difference between somebody who knows what they're doing and cares about quality and doesn't. So that was my soapbox for the week. Because I think that's important. I want you to try doing it. If you try it and you say, you know what, Dan's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And that's your choice. I, I respect your opinion. But uh, by all means, at least try it and commit to doing it for a while. And I am willing to bet you will see the difference and it will, it will work and it will improve your craft and improve the end result of your show. So speaking of improving yourself and improving your craft, I would like to tell you about our awesome sponsor this week. It's Linda. L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com, and they made a special URL just for listeners of this show. It's lynda.com slash podcast method. lynda.com slash podcast method. Lynda is the best. They're an online learning platform. They've got over 3,000 on-demand video courses that help you learn stuff. And if you go to that URL, you will get a 10-day trial where you can have access to all of the videos that they make, every single one of the videos that they make. You can play them, you can watch them, you can search, and you can find exactly what you are looking for. It's really amazing. You don't have to wade through hours and hours of like content that's not interesting. You get right to what you want. It's made by experts. So here's some examples of some Linda courses. And you know what? These are good if you've been podcasting for a while, if you've been recording for a while. You, it never hurts to, to learn or remember those basic skills. Here's some of them. Audio recording techniques, audio mastering techniques, Logic Pro 10 essential training, Pro Tools 11 essential training, podcasting with GarageBand 3. These are courses taught by experts in there. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, should I switch to Logic Pro? Well, is there an advantage for me to do that or should I keep going with GarageBand? Sign up, use your 10-day free trial and take a couple courses on Logic. You'll see what the interface is like. You'll see firsthand if it has the kind of features that you want. 
without buying anything, without installing anything, without having to screw up your computer with new software. Just watch the video and you'll be like, whoa, this is what I want. Or mm, I don't need that. I'm, I'm going to stick with GarageBand. It'll answer those questions for you. Go check it out. Lynda.com slash podcast method. Thank you very much for them for making this show possible. All right. Let's do a few questions that I have come in. Now, I'm, I'm sorry. You may have asked these questions, but I, I've been taking a lot of notes this week as I've been working up toward this show. So uh, I may not read your name on the air. I apologize for that, but you will, you will know who you are. Uh, one of the things that uh, I have been asked or that I've been talking about a lot uh, is where should spots go? Where should advertisements go during a podcast? Where should they go? Should they go at the beginning? Should they go in the middle? How do you space them out? This is a really neat topic. And by the way, don't forget, if you're doing a podcast and you don't have any legit sponsors, go and sign up for an affiliate. You know, find a domain name registration company you like, find a hosting company you like, something like that, where you can set up an affiliate link and you can do that as a sponsor and direct people there and say, listen, let me tell you about this company. You can use my affiliate link and if you sign up and register a domain, I'll get 10 cents or whatever it is. Tell them what it is and let them know that's how they can support your show. The same thing if you're uh, using Patreon and you want to be listener supported. Say, listen, this is what we're offering. Go to Patreon and support the show. You know, that's how you do a spot. But where do you put that spot in the show? I am a big fan of what are called mid-roll spots as opposed to uh, top-loaded or, or spots that are at the beginning of a show. A lot of the time on a show, I might say, well, you're listening to the podcast method. This episode is brought to, you by Lynn, brought to you by Linda. We'll tell you more about them as the show continues. Totally cool doing that. But that's the most that I want to say at the top of the show. I want to get in and get to the content. Time me. How long does it take from when the music for this show starts to when I'm giving you information that you're here to get? Or from if you listen to the Dan Benjamin Hour in the morning, how long from when I say, this is the Dan Benjamin Hour to when we start actually talking? I never put ads or anything up in the front of them because I know people are impatient. I'm impatient. I want to get to the content. Let them get to the content. So here's my rule of thumb. I believe that you can do one to two minutes of sponsorship, call it two minutes of sponsors for every 20-ish minutes of content. So what that means is if you are doing an hour-long podcast, you want to do up to three spots during that show. That seems reasonable. Anything more seems like a little too much. Less, that's fine, but, but I really don't think you should have any more than that. So what does that mean? That means one spot in each of those three 20-minute blocks. Now, if you're doing a 90-minute show, you could space it out more. You could, uh, you could even potentially do an extra sponsor if you want. You, don't, you know, Too many sponsors, people start to get crabby about it. But compare that to radio. On radio, you get a spot every you know, six minutes. You get commercial breaks. It's the worst. So we're doing way, way better than that by doing a spot every 20, 15 or 20 minutes. So what does that mean? If you're doing, if you're doing an hour-long show, you might do the first spot in the 15 to 20-minute time period. You might do the, la- the second spot in kind of the half-hour mark. And you would do the third spot in maybe that last quarter of the show. And just time it out. Keep track. If you're using software like Logic, it'll show you up at the top how long we've been recording. I've been recording for about 30 minutes right now. So if I had, you know, two, three sponsors, I might be doing the second one right about now. So that's just the way that you want to space it out. Uh, it, it's important to do that because you don't want to have all the sponsors jammed up at the end and you certainly don't want to top load those sponsors. And sponsors get that. 
they generally don't want to be top loaded either. So that's just something to to keep in mind. Speaking of duration of shows and length of shows, one question I'm often asked is, how do I keep shows from being too long? How do I make it so that we just don't go over? Simple trick. Before you start the show, about 30 minutes before you start the show, <laughs> drink a bottle of water. It'll do your body good to have more hydration. I am not a doctor, but I hear that. Drink a lot of water. If you drink water before the show, 30 minutes before the show starts, you will have to pee. And if you have to pee, you will be more aware of time passing than if you don't have to pee. Welcome to the life of a seven-year-old. Uh, I learned this from my kids who always seem to have to pee at the wrong times. It's because they drink water right before we leave or whatever. Do that and you will be very aware of the time passing and you will, because you're an adult, you will, you will know that, uh, that there's something going on and you'll be more mindful of the time. And if that's your goal is to have a show that's 45 minutes long or an hour long instead of three hours long, uh, you'll be aware of it. Again, this gets us back a little bit into that live-to-tape issue. I'm a big fan of recording something, and what you hear is essentially what you get if there are no problems, you know, like if, if I had to cough or uh, the Skype drops, I will edit that out. But generally, I like to give you guys, you know, the, the live experience. You're going to hear what actually happened. So I don't like to go back in and say, well, the, you know, we had to all go take a bathroom break. So, you know, there's 10 minutes of silence while we all did that and got a little snack and then came back. I, I like it to be what it is. So that's a simple trick that you can use in your own home. Uh, another topic that I had here, I've been asking people, what is a podcast? What is a podcast in 2015? Because it used to be that you needed a website or you needed a network or you needed something like that to make a podcast. But if you distill it down into what is the essence of a podcast from the technical standpoint, it is an audio file, usually an MP3, that lives somewhere on a server somewhere. And it is an RSS feed. The RSS feed being an iTunes compatible RSS feed that also lives on a server somewhere. The RSS feed is XML. If you don't know what that is, Google it. RSS is a specification that tells podcast clients like iTunes, like Overcast, like Downcast or Pocketcast or Instacast, how and where to get your files and what, uh, what's going on with them. Good podcast clients have links that will display the show notes and the links in, in them. This is very important because as you talk about things on the show, you want to put links in and they will show up in the feed. A lot of people, when I asked them, I, I did kind of an informal Twitter poll and I said, hey, what, uh, what do you guys think? Uh, is uh, is necessary for a podcast. Just the RSS feed in the file or do you need a website too? Well, most people said, you know what? I use the website for two things. I use the website first and foremost to subscribe to the show. In other words, they're not necessarily going to iTunes or Overcast to find and subscribe to the show. They're going there to sort of learn and say, oh, this is a show, I will subscribe. And then they frequently say, you know, I never go back. Or they say, the second reason, I go back to look at the show notes and find out what the sponsor was for the show so I can use the promo code and support the show. So the, the answer based on my opinion and also this, this kind of informal poll that a lot of people answered is you, you need the file, you need the RSS feed, 
and you also need at least a very basic website. But here's what I'm thinking more and more is don't spend too much time building a website for a podcast. You can use you can use Squarespace, you can use WordPress, you can use uh, a, a basic site and look at some of the most popular podcasts out there. Their websites are very minimal. They don't suck. I was not going to say that. I was going to say that they're very minimal. They provide you with the information because they know the main reason people are going are, I want to see the links for that show, maybe read about what that show is about, and then uh, find the sponsor links. That's it. That's what people want. Well, uh, that's kind of the software that we've, been, I was glad to hear those results because that's the software that we've been working on here for a while that, that we're going to be releasing is a place to go to host the feed and related information for, for that. So wouldn't that be cool if you could just go somewhere, log in, you know, create an account and log in and everything that you need is just right there. And it, you even get that simple website and you get a feed that exists and you can host your files anywhere you want. And, uh, you know, you like Libsyn, use Libsyn. You want to host them up on, uh, on, on a file server that you control somewhere. You want to put them on S3, put them behind a CDN. You can. We give you the feed. Oh, anyway, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But that's the kind of thing that, that I've been working on because I believe that the future of podcasting is less and less and less and less about building a big website and more about putting your content out there and making it findable. Because it is so hard to find good shows. And if you have a good show, it's so hard to get it out there in front of people. So hard to get it out there in front of people. We have to rely on iTunes, which is great, but, you know, I mean, they're trying to manage millions and millions and millions of shows. How do they figure out which one should bubble up to the top? It's certainly, it's based on who subscribes and who hits play within iTunes. But that's not how most people are listening today. A lot of people listen with iTunes, but more and more and more, they're using their podcast apps on their smartphones. That's how most people listen. They go to the site or something to find out about it and then subscribe, boom. Now they've got it in Overcast. Now they've got it in Instacast. It's a different world today. The website is less and less and less and less important. And talking to my friends who run podcast networks, uh, who, who are podcasters themselves, they will confirm the websites are getting less and less and less and less traffic by the month, by the, by the year than they did. So if you compare the traffic that we used to get, even though we've got more shows compared to a few years ago, Every, before sort of the rise of the podcast client on the smartphone, man, it has really, really changed. So just keep that in mind as you go forward and decide what you need to make your put your podcast out there. And speaking of things that you need, this is my last topic for today. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the importance or lack of importance of a podcast network in 2015. Like I said many times, when I started 5x5, Five Five, I did it because I wanted to put all the shows that I did in one place. It was... You know, lazy in in the positive definition of lazy. Lazy in the sense of I want to do the least amount of work possible that's outside of the focus of what my business is. A lazy business is one where you only focus on things that matter and, and what matters most is the content. But I didn't want to set up a separate website and all of this nonsense for every single different podcast that I did. I consolidated them. I put them all together and I called it 5x5. Five Five. It was a cool domain. I liked the phrase. Well, that grew into not just the shows that I did, but shows that other people did. And as it grew, one of the things that I started to, to really look at is, and this is something that if, you're, if you run a podcast network or you're thinking about running one, you have to think carefully about the benefit of adding shows to the network. If those show, will, will those shows benefit uh, you as, as a business? 
why are those shows there? Are they related to a theme? Are they related to uh, to the other shows that are there? What kind of, of brand are you trying to create? Does it make sense for those shows to be a, a part of that network? And really, at the end of the day, with all of the great tools and things that we have available to us as independent podcasters, especially like the stuff that I'm going to be putting out there really soon, you know, when you look at that, you can say, wow, the, the things that a network offered a few years ago are less and less important. Today, the advantage of a podcast network, the main purpose for a podcast network, I think is making your life easier when it comes to things like publishing, when it comes to things like editing, if they uh, cross-promote shows or building that little community. The, the answer today is you want to be on a podcast network not because you can't get your podcast out there without it, because trust me, a podcast network is no guarantee that a show will be successful. It helps, but it's not a guarantee. But it's because you you like it and because the shows that are there are similar to the shows that that you are doing yourself. And that is the main reason. Again, like a record label. If I was an independent artist, I could go and make a YouTube channel and or or put my music on Spotify or iTunes without ever having a record label involved. But if you want the support of a record label or you like the other people that are on the record label or you kind of want to be part of that community and maybe there'll be some promotion and production and stuff like that that you don't want to deal with, then it makes great sense to to be a part of a podcast network. But it is, I just want to be clear, things are really changing and they're changing fast in this industry. And the more tools that we get for better analytics, for better downloads, for streamlining the production process, for independent feeds that allow you to move your show anywhere you want, regardless of where those files live, uh, the stuff that, I, that I've been working so hard on, to give you that independence, less and less, can, more and more can you do it on your own. Uh, and that, that's, that's what I'm saying. If you look at the biggest shows that are on iTunes right now, half of them network, half of them independent. Things are changing and, uh, and, and keep, your, keep your eye on the ball. That's it. That's all I've got for this week. I didn't do a whole lot of uh, listener questions, but those are the things that have, have really been uh, on my mind. So please hit me up with your questions. Again, I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. Podcast method is the hashtag to use all one word so that I can see them for this show. Next week, I will focus a lot more on listener questions now that I've got this out of my system. But go out there and uh, and make some awesome shows and go check out some of the equipment that I listed. Again, the show notes are at 5x5.tv slash podcast method slash 11. And if you would like to support this show and the other stuff that we do, I would greatly appreciate it. It really does help. You can go to Patreon patreon.com slash five by five support the show give us whatever you feel we deserve and uh thank you for listening go make something awesome